I want to welcome Agile XRM to the podcast. I've known the people at Agile XRM for the past 12 years. I've seen how their business process management tool can add massive value to complex organizational processes in sectors such as finance and government. If you have complex processes or a need for dialogues on the Power Platform or Dynamics 365, take a look at how this BPM tool can add value. You can find them at agilexrm.com or check out the show notes for more details. Welcome to the Power Platform Show. Thanks for joining me today. I hope today's guest inspires and educates you on the possibilities of the Microsoft Power Platform. Now, let's get on with the show. Today's guests are from Finland. They both work at Ford Forever as Power Platform Advisors. You can find links to their bio and social media, etc. in the show notes for this episode, as always. Welcome to the show, Antti and Yuka. Thank you very much. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for having us. Good to have you on the show, gentlemen. Antti, I'll start with you. All right. Food, family, and food, family, and fun. What do you do when you're not at, uh, you know, head down at Ford Forever or gallivanting around the world speaking at conferences um, as you do? What does food, family, and fun look like for you? That's a great question. Food, family, and fun. Well, family takes a lot of my time, so we have a... Uh, we have one and a half year old, which is consuming with our two other kids. So, so I've turned into, I'd say, a family man. So that's the that's the bulk of my free time. Then you know that love for Power Platform. Whenever there is time, I try to I try to keep up. How? How can I keep up? And do you really yeah, keep, up? You keep yeah. up? Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's can it's, I uh, really keep up? Yeah. Mm, mm. <laughs> No, it's uh, you have to pick your battles. You know, fo- focus on what's what's interesting, and you know, for me, and I, I think for you as well, governance has been uh, interesting for for the past couple of years. So, trying to fight, focus on on what we do in our daily work, uh, you know, because you can't consume it all. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, one thing that stands out to me was I think I first met you in uh, Sweden at the one of the first um you know like in a day events or saturday type event that was happening there and then we co-spoke in um um at the first uh scottish summit which is where i saw your session then again and you've always been very big on on project the project side of the bizap suite are you still really committed to that space or have you more transitioned into being uh, a true blue power platform person. I think that the project side is something that are, that that's always going to stick with me. So it's it's sort of uh, I'd, I'd say partly that hobby side of these things. You know, keeping up with where that is, and uh, you know, I try to do some advisory on that front. So so not much implementing things, but really advising customers and partners on how that stuff works and how, how, you know, where that's going and how those components are implemented. So it's more on that, that side these days, I'd say. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Yuka, the last time uh, I met you was in the Microsoft office in Sweden, which was a totally different event. Um, and you were speaking then quite knowledgeably on, and heck, this is, this must be 2019, maybe 2018. Um, on, 
if I remember rightly, it was something like data. Uh, what was it? You know the um, in dynamics the the I can't even think what the term was. They they'd bought out a whole bunch of back end dashboards to kind of see around interactions and stuff that were happening. I, I was I, the word product insights jumps to mind, but it wasn't product insights or products and insights never came to market. It was like customer insights. That's what it was back back there. I think you were speaking on. You've obviously indexed heavily towards power as well. Before we go there, food, family, and fun for you. What does that mean? Starting with food. So, I mean, all the people in the office know that in we go for lunch, I check out the place that has salmon on the menu. That's what I always default into. And and then in drinks, well, you know me, I'm a big craft beer fanatic. Yeah. So, off duty, I always find the place that's going to be having the most exotic selection of new beers to try. Family wise, so I've got a wife and a three-year-old kid called Alex now, and uh, so during this uh, summer vacation time and spending days with him, I mean, he's uh, growing up really fast and uh, into big, big machines, so have a hard time keeping up with him, running behind him when he's pushing his uh, plastic truck there in the <laughs> in the parks, and like that's what well, gets me healthy, gives me one from drinking beer all day, all night on vacation time, so so that's good stuff. And then the fun part. So I I grew up as a 90s, 90s raver, so I'm still trying to keep up with that, that scene. So whenever I get a chance to escape the family and go out and spend the night in a dark room with loud music, then that's where I try to position myself into. So that's EDM, isn't it? Is that, is that the genre, EDM? Mm. Well, yeah, but I mean, it wasn't called EDM back in the days. Mm. It was rave and techno and whatever Yeah. when it all began. Nice, nice. I won't. I won't ask you about the substance that you need to take to kind of stay up and keep going <laughs> at those type of events, and uh, and you know, being able to bounce all over the room um, with it. But yeah, I've I've always been impressed with the one the amount of craft beers that you seem to always be sampling, and and the number of um, uh, raves uh, that you seem to be at which um, seems to be a regular occurrence. For me, it doesn't seem to have knocked off. Do you ever get um, have people think that you look like any famous DJ? Am I mixed with Mark Smith, for example, with a hairstyle? I know, yeah. here, if you're the MVP scene. <laughs> I, I was in the Philippines yeah. and someone thought I... Well, who is the DJ I'm thinking of that's... Uh, he was big in the EDM scene for, for some time, particularly coming out of Ibiza. Yeah, I'm looking at you right now with your glasses, and you look like Dave Seaman, who was a, he's a long-time DJ in the UK on the Booker's House scene. I mean, you're kind of spinning image of him at the moment. <laughs> nice, nice, <laughs> so nice. So just pick up some decks there in your studio and start doing a bit <laughs> different kind of thing. I've thought of getting Twitch decks. show and, or whatever. Yeah, adding them to my bar, but I've, as a, mm. it would be extravagant and, and beyond what I need. Tell me about, you know, today I want to really talk to you about uh, the power platform and governance. And the reason, you know, we set up this podcast is because I know Microsoft have been getting the two of you to do a lot of educating of partners in in Europe um, around this topic. When you look at pulling together what you're going to train on, you know, what do you, what do you aim to cover? What do you aim to talk about? Yeah, so if we think about the, the power platform governance in, in practice uh, session that uh, we've been doing in in most offices around the uh, Nordic countries. So uh, it has really started from kind of like what is not actually explained in the official uh, 
training courses or that's kind of like this uh, sort of tribal knowledge about uh, what is this thing really about. So we've uh, sort of uh, went pretty deep into the actual uh, details of it and also kind of like giving people a bit of a wake-up call on how this is different from Dynamics or different from, from Office or Azure because we are then trying to really pull in a mixture of people who are who don't come from the traditional path of uh, this application consulting. And that has really been the best part of those courses that we've done for Microsoft and for Arrow and uh, this kind of uh, kind of partner-facing organizations. And uh, yeah, we are more kind of like telling them what you need to sort of learn about, giving them hands-on examples and challenges about what the what the life at the customer organization can actually be like, because that is something that. Uh, uh, you can't really get exposed to that if you are working in the kind of traditional silo of where you are a provider of a, a dynamic solution, for example, or if you come to do a, a Power App that uses Azure backend services. So those are just all like a uh, that single app uh, kind of perspective is so different from the platform perspective. And that's what we really try to then uh, sort of... Uh, give people a way to experience that reality so that they could better understand that, okay, what is the life there on the customer organization side? And they may be figuring out that uh, based on what we kind of now know from this, what kind of uh, services could we offer to the customers? What kind of uh, new competencies should our people be trained in so that uh, we are better equipped for them encountering that reality where there are multiple partners and most of the apps also coming from non-partners yeah. so the internal system developers who are then kind of the uh, the real ingredient in the kind of low code revolution so getting the sort of perspective and uh, kind of like uh, maybe tips and tricks that are not going to be maybe that a bit like relevant more further down the road but so that they know what's coming there because that is really something that uh, is not really very well visualized or expressed in any of the sort of official um, or product-based uh, training courses that are available out there. You raise an interesting point about the siloed and and being that all of us on the call today have all come from a very strong dynamic CRM type uh, background originally. And in, in that partners used to come into organizations and they would do a project and they would deliver a solution and they might put some um, a support contract in post that event. But what I'm noticing is that more and more customers are wanting to have a, a much greater deal of skin in the game. They're not they're not wanting to the relationship to be with a partner. You come in, you do a bunch of stuff and then you leave. They're really going, no, no, this is, <clears throat> it's a it's a journey that we're going on and we need our staff to get up to speed because we, and, and I use a kind of a 60-40 split, 60% uh, customer side involved in a project, 40% might be, and sometimes that's 80-20, you know, it, it changes. But our goal um, from a partner perspective is always to be bringing the skill level, the digital literacy of that organization up so that they can self-govern, self-manage because you know, it's only there that the power platform truly spreads out in an organization, right? They've got to own it. It's got to be their journey, not a partner-imposed journey. What are you noticing around where you're perhaps going in and doing rescues, right? You're coming in after maybe other partners are being involved or you are 
really getting that governance strategy in place for an organization. What does good look like? What do you, where do you kind of, what do you look at from a baseline? And then where do you like to kind of leave them? And you talked about tips and tricks for, hey, this is going to come down the road. Once you're this size, once these things happen, you're going to be here. You need to be aware of this. What's that process for you? How do you take a customer through that journey, whether it's a rescue or whether it's a brand new implementation and you're setting the vision for the power platform? Yeah, so we've recently been uh, kind of workshopping this internally together with Antti and other members in the team. And uh, kind of uh, our offering is starting to be divided kind of into two levels. So we are going to need these kind of uh, public or semi-public courses that are like the ones that we've been promoting there in social media, those ones that are paid by Microsoft for partners. So the ones that are not customer specific. And then there's, of course, the layer beneath that, which is going to be something that we do behind closed doors with the customers. But uh, those really need to go sort of hand in hand. It's hard to really do it just as a consulting or advisory uh, engagement or then purely through the uh, kind of running these courses and doing it in a way that's kind of uh, doesn't uh, involve any of the details that are specific to the organization that we're talking with. And... uh, what we recommend as the path and which we've been following with customers with, I'd say, very successfully in raising their kind of uh, maturity level in adopting the platform. So we always have to start with the career state analysis of what their current use of Power Platform is there in the organization. And that will then involve also identifying the the other partners that are part of that game who has been building apps for them, be it in Dynamics or then um pure power apps in the office side or something that's kind of uh, spiked by Azure, but running is still on largely on the uh, local platform side. So really going through that analysis using the COS target tools for digging out all the information that the customer uh, doesn't really have any visibility into before we go there. So even if they would have deployed COS target on their own, then they can't really figure out like how to make use of all the pieces of information that they get on the dashboards or like what to pay with attention. What does it mean? So that's where we really need to spend spend a few days initially and like get people uh, around the same table there and uh, gather data and at the even at that point start benchmarking them against like what are our sort of uh, like key I mean key items to really fix what are the what fires should be put out first but also then uh, kind of uh, looking into the future about what could be valuable or relevant for them in like one or two years time putting it all out there sort of at once but not going into too much detail yet but sort of uh, go, building up the sort of case for why you need governance to begin with of course they need to have that uh, on some level that's uh, understanding that they need us before we get to do the work for them but still usually it's uh, that has to be done before there's any kind of like uh, path to be built forward about what piece of the puzzle are they going to be laid out there in the in the coming months and then after that we then usually always recommend that we then do uh, training about sort of the more theoretical part of the platform how it works so looking at the environments looking perhaps uh, uh, admin and governance in practice, power automate, same stuff, licensing, environment strategy, and like security, DLPs and all that. So going through the sort of uh, capabilities that there are there in theory in the platform, which you will then be using in the near future, but which are still some 
something that you cannot like start using today because you don't know the combination or the priority of those things. And from, from there, we then can proceed to build actually the uh, the governance uh, framework for what the work they're going to be actually doing within the organization after there's the understanding of who are the people and apps and solutions partners involved here, and then what is sort of the theoretical building blocks of the platform, and then what are the kind of like ability and scope and needs for you to like, what should you do within the next six months time? I think that's kind of like the high level, the uh, model, how we proceed with customers today, regardless of what it's, whether it's like a net new kind of uh, environment or sort of a new territory for us, or whether we got them try to rescue them from some prior failed attempt with another partner to kind of do something on the governance side. You, you know, oftentimes when you're starting uh, to work with a customer, you'll ask them around, you know, is the power platform in use? And, and you'll get a mixed range of answers. Nah, nobody's doing anything, nothing's happening. Or, or you know, one big project doing at the moment for an airline. Um, oh, yeah, we've, we've installed the COE starter kit, but nobody knows what, what it means. We just had our tech company install it, and it's in there, so we're, we're set up, we're good. And when you ask things like, you know, how many apps do you have, how many automations are underway, like all this, it's kind of like no idea. Have When you first get into somebody's system and they say, and you want to get a lay of the land, in the COE starter kit, what are the kind of first three to five dashboards that you want to get and understand the truth um, of, of what's going on in that tenant? How bad is life in default? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. It's funny you say no, that. I, I, was just I, talking I, to a, I, was, I was just talking to a Microsoft <laughs> PM, and they were saying they've now set up a dedicated team f- to deal with their default story going forward and plan. It's a dedicated team now in Microsoft. Go for it, Andy. So I think this is probably something that depends on who's looking at uh, the, the platform and, and what people find as, I, I'd, I'd say actually as, as personal interest, points of interest. Personally, what I try to look at, you know, the, the first couple of things are, you know, where is our, Where's our capacity at? You know, what's what are our current capabilities and our, you know, theoretical capabilities from just a capacity uh, point of view? So you're talking about storage? Yeah, storage, storage, basically. You know, wh- wh- where can we go? Where can we go? Uh, how how do our licenses look like? And from there, I mean, I, I personally, I do look like, look at default and, and try to analyze how bad does it look? You know, do we uh, have Custom connectors, uh, unwanted connectors in use, uh, you know, in, in broad use by anyone. Um, is is do we have any DLP policies? Do we have possibilities of data leaking out? Those are sort of the initial things that I try to get an understanding of because you know the the plethora of, of environments that usually exist. Um, that takes a lot of time to go and, and you know dig dig those out and 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 dig for information what's going on there. Usually it is default. That's the root of all for evil. So that's sort of the, at least for me, the logical place to start and try to get you know my bearings on what the world looks like uh, in there. Mm. 
And also when you talk about capacity, then one aspect that's not part of the CUA strategy, but so the PPAC dashboard is the consumption of the API requests, which is going to be a good indicator of what's really running in there. Yeah. And then in the near or distant future, actual problem for customers who are going over there inside my limits. Mm -hmm. So that is, again, something that uh, they've always had access to it in, in theory, technically, but they don't understand why to look for it and what does it mean. So another great example of like data that's sort of hidden in plain sight, but so you need to sort of uh, decipher that to the customers and explain that this actually, it will tell you also where the, where the, uh, potential real kind of value is derived from the platform, but then also the places where people need guidance or where you have fires burning and you need to put them out before you proceed to any fancier models around your governance processes. Yeah. What about ALM maturity? Because of low code, you know, being marketed so heavily and the concept of citizen developers being able to build anything, um, you know, on the platform rigor that you would have in traditional software development is sometimes a miss or a ride that it's not in play is it that... sometimes <laughs> yeah 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 so what do you what do you, what are you coming across what are you seeing and what are your recommendations oof yeah alm that's 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 always the tough question you know sometimes it's tough even when you do dynamics uh, which is sometimes a bit surprising uh, there is no alm in citizen development in organizations that are just getting started with Power Platform. You know, those organizations that are on a maturity level of 100 or 200, usually those cases that we actually have, you know, those uh, th those customers that are in the early steps, in the early stages, there's not a concept of ALM, nothing. And I know that some, you know, some, some, someone who's listening might be like, hey, you know, man, that's, that's, that's not true. You know, that's not what we're seeing. Uh, and that is... Def definitely a possibility. So, so you know, based on what I've extensively talked with with people around the world, I think this is partly a a uh, uh, a cultural thing of sorts as as well. But what we're seeing here, at least in Finland, with our enterprise, is that they are really in you know baby steps. They're they're taking baby steps, and you know the experience that we've had is there there is no concept of ALM. ALM uh, means that. Citizen developers are building their apps and their flows, and whatnot in directly in default, uh, and and you know those apps and flows, you know they might be personal productivity, they might be organizational productivity that that are business critical apps and flows, and and ALM, you know it's that's that's something that comes in as the organization matures, and as we get that governance framework in, and as we get to teach and train and enable not only IT, but makers as well, on what good ALM should look like. And really then that's, you know, after that, that's the, then the discussion of, you know, how do we implement ALM? Uh, what what sort of the initial versions and, 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 and approaches and baby steps of ALM should we, you know, do things manually? Should we have automations in place? Uh, but that discussion, I mean, that's, that's something that does come down the line when the bits and pieces for governing the platform are really in place. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I really think you need to find some example of a, well, a fire that's burning or something that's obviously not going to scale and then use that as 
talk around that scenario, find out, okay, where should this be running? Who's supporting it? Do you have any versioning? Is there any way to test it? So pick a few of these uh, a bit bigger applications that are to some level critical or even highly critical if they are uh, been using them for many years already without knowing that it's not really in line with uh, how things should be built. So then uh, not kind of like overwhelming them with uh, the sort of theory about all the the hundreds of new apps that you will be producing like every year, but rather focusing on a few of these and then talking through the story aligned with this sort of theory of the governance tools that we talked about on the trading side in our offering. So looking at the environment strategy, what environment should we build for these apps? Where should it land into? What what other resources are needed for it? And uh, thinking about then security perspectives. So uh, based on the DLP policies that we define for default, for example, then does this fit into that? Does it need to be moved out? And like, uh, that's again a great example of like why it takes time to really put uh, anything uh, major into use is that there's so much stuff that we need to clean out from the default or other places before we can even enable the DLP policies and block things that, that need to be blocked. So then that will then, of course, quickly lead to questions about, okay, who built this? Is he in the house anymore? Is he a partner that's gone away? Or do we have any resources to actually do the work there? So we can run into those kind of questions pretty soon in the analysis. And we have to kind of be, kind of accept the fact that that's how it's going to go. It's going to go through all these examples and we cannot like, blame the customer or even the partners who might have been involved in building those solutions about doing things the wrong way. But we need to map out those steps that are so interconnected with one another and kind of like reaching the good ALM sort of capability alongside is sort of a, I'd say, a side effect of putting the the governance model in place there. So I think it's even actually a lot more motivating, especially for what the IT folks like look at from that perspective, not from the sort of developer productivity perspective, but rather like ensuring that things are under control and that people are not uh, misusing our capacity or exposing data in unapproved ways to the end users. Those are very concrete things to kind of like uh, give out as the outcomes from that. And once you get, uh, get through that process, then you are already in a Pretty good state to start automating things in the ALM, uh, in your ALM sort of maturity journey. Mm-hmm. What's what's your experience like with managed environments and and you know it's a whole new set of tools that Microsoft are bringing to the fore and and they're pretty compelling um, uh, to give a much higher degree of governance. I was talking to um, Keith Watling and he said you know managed environments, you could pretty much save an FTE, you know, inside the organization from a monitoring perspective and 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 admin um, with, with the power that you get with managed environments. What's, what's your experience? What are your thoughts? And where are you seeing it working well? So if we think about this on a uh, high level, I think it's very important that there's now a an actual sort of a unit within the product team that is really building product features for those kind of things so that we are not just relying on the seaway targets uh elements that are distributed there yeah. in github and so also non-products even though they are the foundation for all the governance stuff today in in the real world so uh 
kind of having a way that uh, these uh, these R&D investments can actually then bring in new revenue for Microsoft. That's a very positive thing for all of us. I mean, customers, partners, and Microsoft. So there's a reason to uh, build the more advanced uh, governance tooling into the actual product itself. Now, if we look at it then today, the state of uh, sort of like the offering from from that uh, was has been shipped out from that uh, that R and D shop. So uh, we, of course, pipelines are probably the most uh, uh, concrete and interesting yeah. uh, feature that sort of addresses the very big need for having some in product ALM capabilities to like at some point to reach a state where also devs can have. I mean, do proper ALM. It's a really big thing, and I well, it probably would have existed even if there was no product offering called managed environments in the uh, in the suite. But then, in practice, I mean, uh, it's uh, I see it as uh, today the managed environments don't yet uh, like replace anything existing. So it's net new layers there that are going to be useful once the maturity of the organization uh, grows higher and we can start to use these uh, more more structured uh, kind of processes for how we uh, direct people to build in the, in the right environments and like how to get them to deploy things in a automated way but it's still something that uh, it's not addressing the needs for the pro devs it's not going to replace immediately at least Azure DevOps pipelines and all those tooling that are more customizable. So the pro coders are not going to rush into adapting that. And then for the citizen side, then it takes a lot. Of, you have to have the the basic governance model in place before you are mature enough to start using the, uh, the pipelines, for example. So putting those into use in, in these sort of citizen environments, citizen sandbox and all those places. So, yeah, I mean, we, it's obvious that we need those features and we need the better reporting in the products as well. I mean, there's there's no reason why why this year we started its dashboards can show data that's missing from the products uh, admin portals. I mean, it's, it doesn't make uh, any business sense or yeah. for Microsoft either. It's just been the way that... Uh, by being not in the product, they've been able to move faster in the series target. So the agility has been there. And I think that's is going to be uh, the state of things going forward as well. So new things will be still experimented there outside the product. And eventually they will be sort of assimilated into the managed environments feature set. At which point in time, it will probably become very, I mean, very beneficial for customers and worth the money, yeah. worth the premium licenses. But are we there to, today yet? Well, it's it's not a thing to replace another thing at this point. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Your favorite to- topic, licensing. <laughs> it's perfect, right? <clears throat> Have you? Uh, what are your thoughts on it? Where where the state of play? You know. Um, for those people that traditionally have defaulted to using SharePoint as their backend systems, often say it's because of licensing costs. And then those of us that, of course, come from a model-driven world think the licensing is pretty cheap compared to what we used to pay for an XRM solution and Dynamics in the past, right? And so what are, your, what are your thoughts on licensing and the state of play? Um, I know this won't age well, but um, at the state of play right now, what are your thoughts? 
Well, like you said, it's uh, once you understand what you get with the money, then it's really dirt cheap. But uh, then we come to the fact that uh, is the organization broadly mature enough to like make use of the premium capabilities yet, which gets us to the issue with with how the managed environments feature is delivered. So it's not a separate skew of itself. It's based on the per user model, which of course is always going to be then a source of uh, frustration for people who are more aligned towards like the Azure custom dev way of like build, paying for the developers, not paying for the actual platform yeah. for every user. Yeah. But then I don't see that as a blocker for the commercial success or the broader adoption of, of PowerPoint tools really at all. It's going to happen same way as SharePoint happened. It's just a matter of time, I think. But what really is then maybe, I mean, a bigger concern there once we do see that there are bigger, bigger low-code apps, not Dynamics apps, not LOE stuff, but like custom apps built on the platform. And we start to then we have to start thinking about the capacity consumption side of it. So thinking about then the API calls and uh, and the storage and uh, all that pricing and especially, I mean, do we build the automations in flow or should we take the logic apps and what's going to be the cost impact when we are doing really big things yeah. on the platform. Yeah. So it's been such a long time since the kind of the intent, the new model behind how these... How the platform is licensed, how it can be, how the resources can be consumed. It was announced almost like, well, probably four years ago by the time this podcast goes out. And we still don't have a way to really look at the consumption via the reports in the product or even then like uh, sort of uh, assign resources to the right things that are operating there on the platform. And that is gonna be a concern for for the IT side once they see that uh, this is a platform for every developer and yet we cannot really then properly control that uh, yeah where does where do the resources go to that we pay for so they everybody hates surprises and uh, it's uh, as if I understand why it's really technically challenging for Microsoft to build those sort of uh, dashboards and get the metrics in place to be detailed enough so that they can base their financial transactions on it. It's a very hard problem to solve, I'm sure, yeah. but uh, kind of the communication around that is starting to be a really big uh, sort of drawback for the low-code platform compared to then doing it the Azure way, I think. So just one, one comment on licensing from from what we've seen with customers. You know, licensing is, uh, premium licenses are, are a result of increased maturity in, in PAR platform. Uh, that's what we're essentially seeing. You know, if you think of uh, customers that are totally unaware of what they have on the platform, they really don't know why someone should have license X, Y, or Z, you know, related to Power Apps and Flow. When we start talking about the basic moving parts and how the platform works and, and kind of putting in those initial frameworks in place for governance, uh, as the awareness increases, sort of the uh, licensing discussion 
immediately gets a lot easier. That yeah. kind of uh, stage gate of, of how do we assign licenses, premium licenses, who gets them, who doesn't get, get them, that gets easier as we move along. Uh, so I think that's one, uh, like you said, that managed environments, you know, that's sort of down the line when we have the basic building blocks. Uh, you know, I, I think part of that is because that whole licensing scenario is a result of proper governance work and, and increased awareness, you know, at, at, a, at a customer. Nice. Nice. So true. Final question for both of you. And I want both of you to answer this question. Is Auntie? We'll start with you. Is mm -hmm. give me two ways that you're practically using AI that you weren't doing in October last year. I am trying to uh, get emails to write themselves without mm. having to spend thirty minutes on how do I reply to a customer. That's that's sort of my that's that's where I want to want to save time personally. Nice. I nice. suck at it right now. Mm -hmm. But ask me in six months, maybe cool. I'll be better. Cool. I'll be I'll be keen to see that. Yuka? Yeah, so I've been applying the uh, big check capabilities quite a lot into the uh, the marketing content that I'm partially responsible for at Ford Forever. And it's, yeah, I'm not going to use it to replace my personal blogging content, but kind of like uh, the way how it can provide structure into things that are still draft and like give you variations of what could be a better better way to express yourself than using that to like uh sort of especially accelerate people who are not doing that kind of things uh, on a daily basis yeah. who are occasional bloggers who should who are like technical pros who have the information there and want to like put it out there but don't have a uh, yet like understanding of like what would be a good way to format that into a readable blog post then those tools are excellent for for getting that kind of ideas and then i've also been playing around with some of the uh, ai image tools how to yeah. sort of alter the reality and like how to sort of like accepting the fact that so what you see online is never going to be real again yeah. so why should we like pretend that it has to be just exactly just real photos the real things of like what's go, goes on there in the applications what's the tools that you've played with what's your favorite right now i lo love the, using the wombo ai app on my phone because it's so easy to then like is it one a, blow use it for <laughs> no wombo w-o-m-b-o wombo that's ai yep yeah so it's great for like uh, take this uh, image and use the inspiration and then create a new version of I it like based it. on some yep. uh, like steampunk or, yes, or whatever. Yes, yes. No, very good because I've been impressed um, with what you've come out with, particularly your MVP award that kind of looks semi awardish. And you know, I've been I've been doing a whole bunch of um, of that type of thing <clears throat> using. Um, Mid journey, I've got a you know, but mm. as in it's abstract art and it doesn't really like taking exit. Well, it can, but it doesn't. Well, I have not used it effectively. Like, if I put a photo of me up and got it re rendered, it wouldn't look like me, right? It, it seems to be quite mm. different, which but, is a good thing, right? Yeah, yeah. Sta stable diffusion, though, now that's got me interested because that runs locally and I think you get a lot more, it's a lot more setup, right? You're gonna know a bit your round away, your way around GitHub making sure you're on the latest build takes about two gig of storage or something like that, maybe eight gig actually. Um, but some really amazing stuff happening in that space. 
Um, yeah, it's exciting times. It's I think all my um, tweets now for this podcast since January have all been written via uh, GPT, and they are much better tweets because what I do is I hand in the entire transcript from the podcast and then go create me, you know, five tweets for across five days. And the thing is, the tweets are meaningful about the content in the podcast. I had this one um, as an MVP that uh, I was interviewing and she came back and goes, I never talked about Raspberry Pi. Why in your tweet do you say I did Raspberry Pi? And then before <laughs> I could respond, she came back and was like, oh my gosh, I did reference Raspberry Pi in my, you know, she was, I, I re-listened to the podcast and I did mention it. And of course it had extracted that and talked about her comment on it. And so I've found it's it's definitely made the tweeting much more accurate to the show because it's not making anything up, right? It's actually using the transcript. And then the other thing, and I've just switched this on actually last night, is I've been doing transcripts for some time, and they're, they're kind of an overhead to do on a podcast, right? So it costs more. Mm. It, it can look crappy, you know, as in sometimes it's just not accurate. But uh, I just switched on one with my platform um, last night, which is using generative AI to do the transcript rather than the old way trans transcripts used to be done. So I'm, I'm going to be really interested to see if there's a big uptick in the quality of transcription now coming out. Um, I don't know how many people ever look at the transcripts on a podcast. I assume it's more for people that, you know, need a, a specialized reader or something like that. But yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting. I was looking at them just before the show here. Yeah. Seeing the latest guests on your. Yeah. I mean, because I don't have time to like listen to the audio, but I can yeah. scan through some exactly. topics that are being so talked there. So definitely there's so much value to, That's good. to be gained from good. that. Thank you, gentlemen, for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. It's awesome to be here. Thanks a lot. Thank you, sir. Always good to be on. Hey, thanks for listening. I'm your host, business application MVP, Mark Smith, otherwise known as the NZ365 guy. If there's a guest you'd like to see on the show, please message me on LinkedIn. If you want to be a supporter of the show, please check out buymeacoffee.com forward slash NZ365guy. Stay safe out there and shoot for the stars.